knowing the research, we know that just if parents and families are involved um, and engaged and have those high expectations, we see that students have better grades, higher graduation rates, are more likely to enroll in post-secondary education. Um, and I think it really is important to get the family involved in education are in students' lives, um, kind of like the saying goes, it takes a village. It really takes um, everyone to be involved, not just the schools, um, but schools, families, and communities, everybody to help students be successful, which in turn helps our community um, overall be successful, in my opinion. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might school districts form teams of educators with different skill sets to design and implement effective family engagement strategies? Why is it so important to create a solid action plan for family engagement, and how might school districts approach this work? How do family and community engagement practices positively affect EL success in school and beyond? We discuss these important questions and much more in our conversation with a great team of educators from Cabarrus County Schools in North Carolina. In our first episode with three guests, we bring in ESL counselor Stacy Diaz, high school ESL teacher Emily Francis, and school social worker Doug Carr. As you'll hear in the conversation, each person brings a unique skill set to best support EL students and their families in the district and community. This team-based approach is one of the key elements of success in Cabarrus, and a great takeaway for this episode. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to Highest Aspirations. We have three guests today from Cabarrus County. Uh, the first time we've had more than two guests on, so we're going to see how this goes. And we are going to start off by talking a little bit about what sparked everyone's interest in improving family engagement and education um, down in Cabarrus and beyond. So Doug, we're going to start with you on that one. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the biggest things as a social worker that, uh, for me, the family engagement piece is one of the most important because you kind of have to identify in your community where your needs are and to, to be able to get those families involved is, is, you know, that's what the success is built on. So developing those relationships and getting out in the community has always been an important aspect for me in my job. Absolutely. And I'm, it's so great you're all bringing that social work piece in and you're kind of that element bringing that in. Stacy, how about you? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree with what Doug said. I can talk from um, the school counseling aspect um, side of things. Just knowing the research, we know that just if parents and families are involved um, and engaged and have those high expectations, we see that students have better grades, higher graduation rates, are more likely to enroll in post-secondary education. Um, and I think it really is important to get the family involved because education is such a big part in students' lives. Um, kind of like the saying goes, it takes a village. It really takes um, everyone to be involved, not just the schools, uh, but schools, families, and communities, everybody to help students be successful, which in turn helps our community um, overall be successful, in my opinion. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad how you brought the research piece in and then you brought kind of some common sense piece in where just, you know, it takes a village, which I think is clearly important as well. Emily, last but not least, your take on why it's, uh, what sparked your interest in improving family engagement. Yes, mine is more uh, personal. I experience having um, family not being engaged in my education, which hindered the way um, the process of my schooling experience was. So I, you know, that's just something that is core to me, having our families be engaged in our students' development in school. Great. So already I am starting to see the advantage of having three of you on here because I have seen three different sort of things. I'm sure you're, you're approaching it from a variety of different ways, but Doug mentioned the needs, assessing those needs. Um, uh, Stacy mentioned the, the counseling and the research-based, and Emily is mentioning that personal. And I'm sure bringing all those three together, those three experiences together, um, you're doing a good job serving your students and their families. So I want to start by level setting some. Um, you all make, a, make it a point to differentiate parent engagement from parent involvement, two different terms. So what are the differences there between those two terms and which one is preferable? Stacy, can you uh, level set that for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, one of the things that um, we have a quote that we really like, um, and it's actually from Larry Ferlazzo, and I know um, a lot of um, as are aware of who he is. He does a lot of great stuff. Um, and I, what I really liked about what he talked about involvement and engagement um, is with involvement, you're really more focusing on the mouth, kind of the schools identifying what the needs are, setting goals and telling parents kind of what they should do. Um, whereas engagement, you're more of listening and kind of listening to what their needs are, um, using what they have what their dreams are, what their goals are, um, not just what we think they need, but really listening to what the families are telling us with what they do. So um, engagement is something that we want to aim for because we want to be working with students and families based on what they need, not what we think they need, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 uh, the words we use are important. Uh, Doug, Emily, anything to add there? Emily, you first. Yes. So I was going to say, of course, yeah, their needs are so important. I mean, sometimes we uh, think we believe or we know what is it that our families need and we start putting all these workshops for our parents when in reality, if we look deeply what is it that they need, then our workshops will be completely different. So I think it just comes down to a level of finding out what is it that they need to meet their needs. Sure. So much of it is prescribed by us or was, I should say things are changing, you know, well, we should set this up because they must need this. But just like in any sort of design-based thinking, finding out what they need first and then working from there. Great. Doug? I think too, just, I mean, you know, just to take it a step further that, you know, each school obviously is like its own little community. And to be able to involve those parents in some of the decision-making processes within each school, you know, whether it be through the PTO or, you know, just parent input in general through different um, events and activities to see, you know, what they think are the biggest needs within, you know, within that community, within that school is important because, you know, they're the ones who, uh, you know, have the investment in, it in their children. So, you know, their, their engagement is, is critical to any kind of success. Great. And you all, like in, in many districts, <clears throat> excuse me, in many districts are working with sort of a variety of different students, whether they be your English language learners, sort of traditional students, they're from different places, different countries. So that, that cultural responsiveness piece um, becomes, becomes crucially important. And we've talked about that in the podcast before as it relates to students, 
I'm curious as to as to how you see that cultural responsiveness piece relating also to families. Emily, can you start us off with your point of view on that? Yes. Uh, I mean, I, it just comes down to, again, knowing our families. I mean, we all have a different way of approaching uh, family education, and one is not better or higher than others. So our American system would have a way that education works. Hispanic families will have a different way, and we can't diminish one from the other. So I think that's where the cultural responsiveness comes in and knowing our families, who is it that we're serving and how do we serve them with respect and value and who they are, what they already bring to our school system. Sure. And I also, I love it. And it's kind of apropos based on an article I just read today that came out from Education Week that you are mentioning that school systems in different uh, countries are different than, than they are here. And we have to sort of recognize that. I was just reading an article today from Ed Week that talked about um, how the, uh, the U.S. Department of Education just released a toolkit for um, ELL families and immigrant families. And, they, and that, that's kind of the first piece that they talk about how schooling may be different here than it is in other countries. And it's just great to see districts like yours, but also now like local, state, and federal agencies recognizing that cultural responsiveness piece. Beautiful, beautiful. Stacy, how about you? Honestly, I agree with um, Emily, the big thing being um, building those relationships, um, being the biggest thing and kind of helping promote that culture of awareness and learning and sharing, uh, making sure families feel comfortable, schools create that safe environment um, and help just build the community, build, um, build with the resources they have. Great. Doug, anything to add there? Well, yeah, I'm just kind of taking off what Stacy said that, um, you know, well, I guess, you know, Emily was talking about first getting to know the families and who we we're serving. And then with um, what well, Stacy said, as far as, you know, it takes, you have to build some trust with those families as well for them sure. to do as far as, um, you know, you have their best interests in mind and you are culturally sensitive to, to maybe what they've gone through or what, you know, what their goals are educationally or what kind of things they can achieve. So trust, and especially, you know, on the social work side of things, with me with dealing with so many different types of situations with families that uh, trust is an important factor. You know, if they don't, if they don't trust the people they're working with at school or, or come to them, come to them with um, their concerns, their needs, you know, you're not going to make a whole lot of progress. So that's a very important aspect of it. Yeah, Doug, I'd love you to say more about that. So that trust is, is clearly important and crucial, but from a social work point of view and from your role there, what are you doing um, to gain that trust? I'm sure it takes time and there's a lot of different things, but can you give us an example of something that you think is crucially important to gain trust in families? Well, I mean, one of the things that we try to do, uh, especially at one of my elementary schools, we, do, we try to do quite a bit of community outreach. And what I mean by that is we go out into the neighborhoods and, um, for community or for uh, school-wide events, we try to get out there, deliver a lot of the information um, at their doors, uh, let them know who we are, who our faces are, um, you know, that the social worker is not just a bad person that is going to uh, yeah. take their kids from them. Cause you know, that's what a lot of people still think that we're always there for negative reasons. Um, right. Building those neighborhoods on their or building that trust in their neighborhoods and on their own terms, um, you know, is really important. That way, if I have to come there for some sort of um, different situation that, you know, they feel comfortable enough or that they've seen me. And you're right. I mean, it takes time. 
it, you know, sometimes unfortunately it takes years <laughs> and um, it, it's a process, but you know, just those little things can make a huge difference. Sure. Great. Thanks for that. And you kind of queued up our, the, the next question that I had pretty well. We're talking specifically about what you're doing um, in community engagement. So Stacy, I'm going to have you sort of take on this next question and we'll go to the other people in the, I guess I'll call it a panel today because there's three. That, that means a panel. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you're doing specifically in Cabarrus with, with community engagement? Maybe give us some examples. Well, I know just, just really quickly in general as Cabarrus County Schools, um, a lot of schools are moving towards um, identifying the needs of schools, working more in the community, kind of like Doug said, um, kind of with his school, kind of starting that, spearheading that, going out into the community, meeting families where they are um, to build that trust and improve those relationships. So that's something our county is doing as a whole. We're doing a lot of collaboration with community organizations. Um, one recently, it's called the and they are a nonprofit that started um, and they're connecting our families if we have students who need tutoring if we if we have um, parents who need maybe need help with um, learning English or providing English classes um, and they're really someone that we've come to um, connect with often because they have a lot of resources for our families um, a lot of our families also are involved in the organization so it's kind of help families helping families um, helping schools so that's um, kind of cool we're also doing um, working with local universities to give some of our students opportunities to visit college campuses um, so we're building relationships with them so our students have the opportunity to visit a college campus meet with um, students who were maybe former L's um, that they can relate to and connecting them to show them that that's um, one of their options they can have. Uh, so just a couple of things we're doing here in Cabarrus. Yeah, and it sounds like what, what you're talking about is something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast and that seems to be seeing a whole lot of success, um, which is forming partnerships with community organizations. And you also mentioned universities. Um, we, we've done, we've done, spoken with a lot of people about um, the effectiveness of those kinds of collaborations. And I feel like, you know, sometimes it's just, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stacey, but I think a lot of times it's just about asking. Like if you just ask an organization, hey, would you be willing to help? Generally they do. Is that, has that been your experience? Yeah, that has been our experience. Is, um, something that's helped too, um, that I found to be very successful is going to the organizations themselves. I know sometimes email and call is what we have time for, but really trying to find the time to make it and go in person to those organizations and make that mm -hmm. initial um, introduction has been very helpful. Um, we um, one of our coordinators and I, sometimes we go to different community events to kind of network and meet um, different people from the community. And that has helped having that personal connection um, in those first steps versus sending that email or call, even though I understand sometimes that's all we can do. If there's any way you can make that personal connection, I would highly recommend that because that's really helped us. Yeah, and that, that relates directly to what Doug was just talking about with mm -hmm. trust, right? I mean, you're doing the same thing with community organizations as you would with families. Right. It's, that's just kind of like the human piece there, that the, what we all have in common, what we need to do to make sure that we're making these connections mm -hmm. and we all trust one another. Mm -hmm. um, Stacy and Doug, do you have anything to, I mean, I'm sorry, Stacey, um, Emily and Doug, do you have anything to um, add there? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just to kind of take off what Stacy was saying that you know, we tried to, one of the things we tried to do the last few years and our next one's coming up in April, we've done a um, kind of a, a resource night for our Spanish speaking families where we, we bring together all those resources that you were talking about. We probably have, I don't know, 13, 14 agencies that are present that night um, that 
sometimes our basic needs, sometimes our um, anything from recreational. I mean, you name it, medical, we have someone there uh, just so they have, so the families have contacts um, that they can kind of walk away from. And, and again, that builds that, you know, that kind of community and that trust. And they know that they were there to kind of meet their needs. So it's been a pretty exciting thing to see over the last few years of bringing all those resources together for our families. Yeah. And it must be nice to have them all. And I think you're alluding to this all in one place so that they can kind right. of access them all at once. Um, yeah. Anything else, Emily, that you'd add about those um, sort of workshops or community engagement um, uh, events that you're, that you're working with? Yeah, well, what I need to share right now is I, I just started working here at the high school level transfer from the elementary where I used to have meetings almost every quarter. Um, and it was a, a, a constant meetings with our families. Now that I'm at a new setting, I just feel like I need to start fresh and start from scratch, which is building those relationships with students. I didn't know anything about. So I think in order for me to reach out to families, it needs to start with a strong relationship and trust with students. I think if students go home and say, I met Miss Family and Miss Miss Francis and she tells me this and she talks to me and I think building those relationships with students is where my heaviest work is right now. Mm -hmm. I've had meetings with our families here. I had one very successful meeting where Stacy came up and helped us, but I can't do as much because I don't know many of my families yet, but definitely laying the ground with relationship with students. I think it's very important. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because we talk a lot about um, family engagement and and how it's so important, but it's also very challenging, particularly, I think, at the high school level. I taught high school as well. And, and you, you make a really good point, somebody coming from the, and by the way, I'll say this, I think we need more elementary folks to go into the high school. I think, <laughs> exactly. I think, Please say that again. <laughs> yeah, we need more elementary folks to come to the high schools. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's great. But uh, at the same time, you're recognizing, I think, a big pain point of high schools. And that's exactly. something, there's a tension there. Like people we'll talk about how family engagement is so crucially important and it is, but if there's not sort of systems in place or well-designed, um, uh, you know, elements in place, it's really hard to make that happen as a high school teacher. Right. So you were, you, Doug, you talked a little bit about those workshops that you're doing. You mentioned one. I'm curious, it's kind of backing up a little bit, how you all go about designing those. Like, you know, you sort of, do you recognize a need and say, okay, we're going to design these this way. Do the parents tell you that like things? I think that's really important for listeners to know how they would go about setting up these workshops because we've all been a part, I think, of like a college night or uh, or a bake sale that just nobody shows up for. So, <laughs> how, how do you how do you design those? Stacy, do you want to uh, kick that one off? Yeah, I'll be happy to. Um, one thing that has been really helpful um, has been kind of going back to when we talked about the engagement versus involvement and really listening to what the needs of our families are. Um, a lot of the workshops um, I help with are geared for the middle and high, which tend, like you said, tend to be strong and we've definitely had somewhere no one shows up. But we really listen to whether it's through conversations with families, um, if there's a need they, they mention, I'll kind of make note of it. And if I hear it from multiple families, then I'll be like, okay, it's something that, um, that may be beneficial to have some information or have um, something to help with those needs. Um, I also, we also have a survey we give out when we do have workshops or just um, 
send out in general, depending on the school, um, just to ask parents, what are their needs? Um, would they like more information? And we kind of give like a list of what may be helpful, but we also give them a space to tell us what they feel like they need. And it could be anything from um, something to do with academics, how the bell schedule, what the bell schedule is, when the grades come out, what does the report card look like for you, um, how to find community resources, um, how to help their students who are not motivated. Um, so just a range of stuff we tend to ask um, our parents what they need, hear it in conversation, or if we notice trends, um, just talking with teachers or social workers or counselors or anybody in the school, kind of if we notice there's something that we see a lot of, we'll try to address that. Um, and what also has been helpful is knowing people in the community. Um, one example I can say is like I have a contact at one of our local churches and a lot of our families attend that church. So every now and then I'll get a call from her and she'll tell me, hey, I've noticed these questions coming up amongst our students or I've had a lot of families ask me about um, financial aid or DACA or something um, having to do with the college application. And so she's like, is there anything the school can do or any information um, they can share? How can the school help um, the families who have those questions? So um, those are some of the ways that we've kind of designed our workshops here in careers. Yeah, so if I'm, if I'm hearing you sort of correctly, if I distill it a little bit and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're sort of finding out what folks need from both formal and informal conversations and connections that you have in the schools and in the community. You're doing whatever it is that you feel like is the right thing to do based on those conversations. And then, and this probably is the most crucial part that I think some people don't, don't uh, or fall short of maybe is the best way to say it, is you gather feedback about the event and take action on that feedback via a survey. Uh, Emily or Doug, anything to add there, anything that I may have missed or gotten wrong? No, I mean, I think you're spot on that, um, and I'll just say that, you know, Stacy's really good about, especially the evaluation part of it, to kind of following up with those families to see what we can improve on or what we can add. I mean, I think that's an important thing, just, you know, the way things kind of change from year to year. Uh, so that piece, I mean, she's been, she's been really good at um, doing that. And it helps us out when we come to, to plan the next event. Great. Emily, anything to add? Yeah, I think another way to approach it will be, you know, and I always tell my parents, you know, I, I don't mean to cause any, um, make them feel that I'm not respecting them, but I do have some important things that I believe will support our students in their career here at the high school level. So we talk about how to access their grades, how to understand attendance and what can hurt or help. Um, so when I see things that can support our students here at the school, those are the topics that I bring on to our, our families something that I took their input on this last meeting I had was on the time of meetings. I had parents saying that they couldn't come a certain time. So we had two workshops available, one earlier in the day and then one later in the day. So again, because I'm trying to meet my families and I don't know many of their personal needs, I'm basing it on what is it that our students need to be supported at home in a school too. Right. You bring up a really good point. Scheduling can be, can be tricky. Uh, for lots of families. And I, I, there's there's some pretty interesting things being done there in terms of putting things online and taking a blended approach, but that's another conversation for, for another yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. 
So one of the things that I was really impressed about with you all um, was the fact that you you all created an action plan template. Um, and And I'm curious as to what you think the most important elements are of that document and how has it helped your staff identify what needs to be done and how it will be accomplished? Um, Doug, can I, I'm going to put you on the spot for that one. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say this. I mean, I think the, the basis for any good action plan, you know, and I think I mentioned at the very beginning, just kind of assessing the needs. What are your most critical needs, um, you know, at that point? And who, you know, who are your key players? You know, who are your people that can really kind of run with things and, and put some of these things into motion? But I, again, I think the assessing the needs because, you know, being a social worker, I've worked in so many different schools at, at all levels, from elementary to alternative schools, to high schools and middle schools and all. And they all have their own different, you know, personalities. Mm-hmm. The... Um, they all have the different needs and you all, and every one of those schools has the people that, you know, you can count on to help kind of put those things in motion. So um, I think identifying those players, I think is the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and sort of on paper, that sounds really, really simple, but I, I, I tell <laughs> you, I've, I've been a part of a few schools. I was a teacher for 17 years and I saw a lot of people kind of coming in, saying, all right, well, this is my job. I'm a teacher. I'm an administrator. I'm a social worker. I'm working at a school. This is kind of what I do. And that whole step of identifying needs and really getting to know the specific culture of the school is missed. So you bring something up that I think some people are listening to and be like, well, yeah, of course. But I would, I would re I would urge people to really ask themselves if, if they're doing it in that way. And if that is then leading to something like the action plan template that you, that you all create. Well, sometimes too, it, it takes a, I mean, you got to kind of take a hard look at yourself too. And sometimes it's a little comfortable, you know, to be able to improve those things. You got to, you got to actually acknowledge that some things aren't as good as they could be or need improvement. And sometimes I think that's the hardest thing for people to do. Yeah, for sure. It, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for everyone. It should be hard. Um, but <laughs> yeah. without that, that hard work and that, that, you know, real look in the mirror, uh, it's hard to make progress. Um, Emily, Stacy, right. anything to add there about the action plan? Sorry. Yeah. First of all, we did not create it. <laughs> it's something that we <laughs> found, right, Stacy? That's all we do, though. Okay. We find good it's things exactly. and we steal them. It's, we're working smarter. Yeah, it's just a template that we found. Anyone can use any template that they want to use. But the cool thing about it is that when you look at this template, you can see the, what is it that needs to be done and it creates a culture and a sense of responsibility. If you're looking at this, and of course, like you say, I'm here to teach, that's, that's not my job or whatever else. If you're looking at something that needs to be done, you step out of your comfort zone because you see you, we're, we're creating that culture of responsibility of things that needs to be done. And, and, and you come in and put your name where things that needs to, uh, to be accomplished. And I think that's, that's just a great thing about having that template. It seems like there's an element of accountability there as well. Exactly. Stacy. Yeah, I agree with um, Emily and Doug, what they said about accountability, but I also kind of wanted to add, um, cause I know kind of going back to the surveys, it does seem overwhelming and it can be overwhelming um, at first and it does take time, but that initial, that time that it takes to get the survey completed or getting that feedback is definitely worth 
that investment and the time. Um, I know we had one school where we created a survey and it was about um, our English, our ESL program in our classes. Um, and we were able to get valuable feedback from students, what they thought about it, classes where teachers can um, use that to change what they do in class. The school can use that to change and learn more about how the students feel in the school. Um, and students, feedback from that was like, oh, no one's ever asked us how we feel about our class and no one's ever really yeah. asked us how we feel in school. So a lot of the students, when we were, when they were taking the survey, they're like, thank you for your interest in what we think of the school. Um, so that was pretty cool to hear. So even though it may seem overwhelming or like another survey they have to take, it's definitely worth um, looking into doing that because the students get that we get to hear a student's voice, and then if we do make those changes, students see that we are taking their um, thoughts into account, and they're more motivated and feel more comfortable sharing if things need to change. Yeah, for sure. They get to take ownership over it. I mean, don't even get me started on on the lack of input that we get from students. I, I taught high school for 17 years, and until I decided on my own that I was going to create my own survey for how I was doing as a teacher and give it to my students mm -hmm. every quarter, I taught Spanish, but I would give it to my students in English because I just, and, or, you know, and I would, if possible, I would give them to, to the students in whatever native language they had. But that feedback, I looked forward to reading those, but then I would read them and there was always something that I'd have to say, like Doug, you were saying, well, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and make a change. And I think, I think it's, it's yeah. powerful enough just to give the survey that already is like a, a token of appreciation it's, it's providing some ownership. It's giving students a voice. But then the next step, and I think a step that I sort of failed to take for a long time was, okay, I have this data now from the stakeholders, the students that I'm working with. What do I do to make the change? And how do I express to them that here is the change that I have made as a teacher or as an administrator or whatever your role is, as a result of your data that you've given me within the confines of the system in which we're working. I think that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just went on a bit of a rant there, but <laughs> it really is powerful. So, you know, as we as we move forward here, I want to talk about like we have you guys are an incredible group of people here. We have a, sort of a diverse group of people and you all another thing that I was impressed besides by this action template, which will provide to folks so that they can um, they can use it uh, and find it more quickly, perhaps than you were able to find it. What what is the 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 biggest strength of the interdepartmental collaboration that you all are sort of doing here? And, and how have you gone about fostering that kind of collaboration? I mean, we have, you know, you all are in different roles, but you're all working very closely together. You're sort of randomly answering these questions. You can all answer the same questions, you know, so you all have the same knowledge. How, do you, how have you gone about fostering that, um, especially when it comes to making sure that your English language learners are are achieving their highest aspirations. Um, let's see, Emily, I'll go to you to start this one. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying you know. to go in random order, but I think I'm failing. <laughs> well, I, when you were asking the question, the first thing that came to my mind is we all have different strengths and different abilities and different um, experiences that we bring to support you know the events or our families or our students so i think just having all of those different extra the different strengths and different um well how would i say that oh, help me out guys i mean i think you said it right saying the different strengths that people have and you rely on them yeah right 
Exactly. I think that's the beauty of it, that I have my ESL background and then it, 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 social worker. It's just we bring what we are really good at and we support each other with what we have. And it's just as inner exchange um, and responsibility. That's the beauty of it. Right. And we have the common goal of supporting our students, what, what, what's best for our students. Right. How do you find the time to sort of collaborate with one another, or at least if you can't like collaborate in person or over the phone or over Zoom like we're doing now, how do you share information with each other so that you all sort of know, it seems like you all, you know sort of what page you're all on at all times. At least that's my impression. I could be wrong. But how do you go about it? How do you go either? Maybe you're faking. I don't think you are. I think you're wonderful. <laughs> well, I want to find Emily. I just look on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> At Emily Friend ESL, go. And that, that we will absolutely be including uh, all of your Twitter handles. Here. And I, I know uh, Emily actually, I think, already tweeted this conversation. My phone blew up. I'm sure she did. Yeah, so I we, call, we call her real time Francis because whatever's happening right at that moment, you know, it's on there. That's where you find me, of course. I would, you know, and, and we and let me just let me just tell you the power of this because Doug did not have a Twitter account, <laughs> and when we met about doing this workshop, that's when he created his Twitter account, and then he was tweeting about this stuff too. So you know, it's just good stuff. Absolutely, I agree. I, I'm I'm totally with you, and I I knew that we would not escape this conversation without talking about the power of Twitter. Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. I don't nope. know. No, you have to. Like yesterday, I actually yesterday I on Twitter is how I found out that Stacy is holding a meeting tonight about supporting our families in only Spanish. And I was like, if it wasn't because she tweeted that, I would have never known. You know, maybe it was posted somewhere else or emailed somewhere else. But that's how I found out. So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> well, there you go. Twitter is a, a crucial piece of communicating not only with the world, but even uh, in your own in your own school district. And I mean, you all, in all seriousness, you all are doing a, a really good job working with one another. And I will also uh, I will also say that I, I met you all in person all at once at the WIDA conference. And it looks like you like each other a lot, too. You all seem to be very friendly, oh, which is wonderful. No. <laughs> they act like they do. They like, um, <laughs> we do, we do. But I'll, I'll say this, Steve, you know, kind of going back to your original point that, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not unlike what we do with our students. I mean, you, you know, this whole, this whole job or this whole, you know, goal for a, it really comes down to relationships. I mean, it's relationships with kids, it's relationships with families, and it's relationships with coworkers. And you find you know, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, you got to, you get that trust with the families, you get that trust with the people who, who are on your team. And you, you know, like Emily said, you find their strengths. You, you know who to go to. If a situation comes up, we have people that we can call, that we can text, that we can, you know, do whatever. Tweet. That it, right. Yeah. Or tweet, which I'm not really good at it, but, um, yes, but, you are. but to find, to find that resource that is needed at that time. And, and believe me, I'll tell you, I mean, I know we're the three people on here, but there are so many people in our district mm -hmm. yes. that, you know, that we trust that we know have the same goal in mind as us. And um, it, it really comes to building those relationships and that trust and, and, and meeting the needs of what our families need. 
And I'm glad you mentioned that because we're sort of taking you all as a microcosm of what you're doing as a district and all the uh, other amazing people there that are doing that work, which which leads me to maybe the most important question for people who are listening. And that is, um, given your experience, how would you recommend that schools begin the work of identifying and implementing effective family engagement uh, practices or processes? How would you recommend they kind of start with this template work? Stacy, do you want to um, start us off with that? Yeah. Um, what I would recommend um, kind of goes back to what I think Emily and Doug had mentioned too, is kind of taking a look at like individually kind of um, reflecting on their thoughts on what is involvement, engagement, and kind of reflecting on what's being done as a starting point. Cause I feel like it's very important to understand kind of like what's been done to know where you can go. So I think for me, one big thing I would, Day is having that self-reflection on what's being done to then move that reflection to larger areas. Great. Emily? Well, I will say again, going back to making sure that, you know, if we're, if we're planning on doing this as a whole county, making sure that each school is doing their part to build that trust with families. Because like this meeting that we have in April, we're inviting all the schools in our county to come and meet. But if we're not building those trust at our schools and in our classrooms with each student, then we can't have that trust to invite our parents to go and learn from what we have to teach them. So it starts with, it starts small. It starts from teacher to student relationship to teacher with school and, and parents, and then it moves on to a whole county. So it's like a ripple effect that we'll say. Great. Last words here, Stacy or Doug. Actually, you, you had the last word. Well, I would just um, I, I really don't know if I can add a whole lot different what they did, but just kind of going back to the beginning that you know if if someone really needs to make a change in something, they they so many districts look so different, you know. And you mentioned the WIDA conference, and it was so interesting to hear what the different school districts around the country and how they identified the needs and it looks so completely different from what our county looked like you know so really you know just taking a look at what fits best in your own little community i think is the the major first step for anybody great all right as we wrap up here i have uh two more questions and this this question that's coming up has come to be a very important one because we've sort of created this uh this library of uh, resources and books that I am trying to, to read and that I'm sure some of our listeners are as well. So I'm going to ask you each to give me one book or resource, it doesn't have to be a book, um, that has had an important influence on you either personally or professionally uh, or both. Um, I'm going to start with you, Stacy. Okay. Um, I'm going to mention one I love to read. Um, I've read, um, I have like 100 books I could recommend, but one I'm reading one I read most recently is called Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas. Um, and his story is, um, he was born in the Philippines, so it talks about how he, his experience living in the United States as an undocumented citizen. And what I liked about it is because it looks not only at, not really the politics of immigration, but more about um, the psychological state um, of how I didn't feel. So I like that it talks about like how he felt and what he went through and just like the psychological, like I guess trauma that he experienced um, that a lot of times gets 
forgotten when talking about all the politics involved. Um, so that's one I would highly recommend. Great. Have not heard that one. That's a new one to add to the library. I appreciate it. Emily, how about you? I am reading Being the Change by Sarah Ahmed. Um, this just is a book full, filled with lessons and strategies that you can teach in your classroom or as a staff development. And it's just uh, helps you develop skills and habits on how to comprehend social issues and how to interact with different cultures. Well, we're two for two so far with new books that have not been on the podcast. Doug, pressure's on. What do you got? Boy, that's a lot to live up to. Um, (laughs) I would say that, first of all, you mentioned resources. So I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, I appreciate the uh, individual families who have shared their individual stories and their trials that they've gone through and had enough trust to share those with me. So, I mean, that's an important part to me. But if we go from a book standpoint, I'm going to say Spanish for Educators, because next Tuesday I start a Spanish class, my Spanish speaking ability. So it's Spanish speaking or Spanish for Educators by William Harvey. Great. Well, that one has not been mentioned either. And I am so glad. Yeah, you you, you passed. I'm I'm so glad and grateful also that you mentioned the the stories that the that the families tell us and the relationships that we build. Yeah, crucially important. Um, great. So I know we are going to list um, a few resources on the website to accompany this podcast episode. Uh, we'll include um, all of your emails. We'll include um, uh, any links that you want to share the template or anything else. But before we uh, say goodbye, I just wanted to see if there are any other um, ways or um, uh, vehicles by which folks can figure out more about what you're doing. Any websites or anything you'd like to share with us? Well, there's one website. It's in progress, um, something that we've had for uh, specifically um, like student services, school counselors, um, just stuff that's relevant for um, school counselors to know about um, everything ESL, with whether it's working with scheduling, um, understanding different languages, um, different cultures, stuff like that. So that's something that we can definitely share. And I know, I want to say our ESL department website has, um, our ESL coordinator, Teresa Palma, she has some um, information on that as well that we'll be happy to share with you. Great. So we'll post all that stuff on the site because it's hard to remember when I say it anyway. So it'll all be there (laughs) at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Um, and with that, uh, Stacy, Emily, Doug, it has been a pleasure. I think we, uh, I think we successfully accomplished having three people on the podcast. I'm grateful to your awesome. uh, cooperation <laughs> and collaboration, um, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Steve. Thank appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.